Thank you, Tony. Um, like Tony said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. A special welcome to anybody who's a guest with us today or anybody who is listening to us through our website or podcast. You are certainly welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. As Tony mentioned, uh, next week we're going to be doing our baptism uh, baptism Sunday. It's not too late for those of you who still kind of on the fence about baptism. You said, man, I missed the class, but I want to be baptized. We want to get everybody in the pool as possible, right? And so if you uh, feel like you want to be baptized, please talk to myself or India Peugeot. Her uh, um, email address is in the bulletin. Let us know early this week so we can make preparations and come out and celebrate with us. I have a few announcements before, before I begin. I want to plug the series. Our Christmas series starts next Sunday, and it's a series that we're simply calling All I Want, I'm sorry, All I Need for Christmas. It's kind of a play on the All I Want for Christmas. We're very much in touch with what we want, and sometimes we're not all that in touch with what we need. So we're going to help remind you what the season is all about and what should really be on your Christmas list. And so we're going to begin a brand new Christmas series next Sunday. And it's just what we, what we realize about the holiday season. That there's just something about the holiday season, the Christmas and the Christmas story that piques the interest of people who don't normally go to church, people who don't normally show an interest in faith. And so what we encourage people to do, uh, particularly around this time of year, is to invite your non-Christian friends or those who've been far from faith, far from God, far from church for a while. This is a really uh, good season for them to engage. And so we promise that there will be something uh, very helpful on-ramp to faith provided through these messages. And so we begin that. Uh, next week, we want to have you invite your friends out. Also, we like to just mention our holiday offering. Our holiday offering is something that we do every year. We've done it, I believe, every year since we've been open as a church. And basically, what we realize is that it is fantastic for us to be a blessing uh, around the holiday season. And you know people in your life and in your world and even in this church uh, that really struggle around the holidays. They've got more month than money. And this has just been a regular thing that we've installed on our calendar where we will just collectively be a blessing, not just to those in need in our, in our church family here, but to those who are in need, those who might call and ask for help uh, by calling um, the, the church office or reaching out through email. And so people have just been very generous over the years, and, and we've been able to raise thousands of dollars a year to be a blessing to uh, some of our families in need here. And so there's a very simple way that you can participate in this. Over the next couple of weeks, starting next weekend, we will be, uh, I'm sorry, in two weekends, we will be collecting an offering both in service and on through our website, through your mobile devices. There'll be a pull-down thing where you can give uh, through text or through uh, online giving that says holiday offering, and you can make that special designation uh, on your offering envelopes when you give in service. And so uh, we just want to prime the pump for that, get you uh, in, in a season of giving so that you and your family can prayerfully consider how you're going to participate and make somebody's holiday season special. Amen? Amen. Well, we're fresh off of uh, what I hope was a very uh, fruitful and festive Thanksgiving holiday. Judging my Facebook, some of you had really good times. Some, some of you were posting your plates and the meals that you were ate. Somebody even posted their vegan, you know, Thanksgiving plate. And I was like, well, that's interesting if you're into that sort of thing, right? But I went to my sister's house. My mom doesn't really cook like she normally does for Thanksgiving. Now my sisters do all the cooking, and it's such a blessing to go over there because we don't have to cook anything. We don't have to clean up anything. You just go over there and eat. 
And so she had all of my favorites, and I even worked out. I did a grueling workout Thursday morning so I could eat as much as I wanted without any guilt. I really earned my plate on Thanksgiving. But it was a fantastic opportunity for me to connect with family, friends, to have some delicious food. And even as I interact through social media with you guys on social media, it just seemed like really uh, fruitful and festive holiday season. But for me, whenever I get around Thanksgiving, I like to take a little bit of inventory of my own life and my own heart to just make sure that I'm a thankful person. Uh, make sure that I just my heart is camped out at a place of gratitude. And there's certainly an uptick in thankfulness when the Thanksgiving holiday rolls around. But what I do uh, often discover at times where I'm doing this inventory, where I'm trying to be honest with myself about my heart of gratitude and Thanksgiving, is I often discover that I can be more grateful. I often discover that I'm not as regularly thankful as I should be. Now, I'm perhaps above average if I just compare myself to maybe a few of you. But according to the standards of Scripture and according to where I know I should be, I've got some work to do in the area of thanksgiving and gratitude. And on the heels of the Thanksgiving holiday, I feel like the iron is hot, right? Our minds and our hearts are already centered around the subject of thankfulness, thanksgiving, and gratitude And so I wanted to spend some time this morning talking about gratitude. You know, I've heard it said that the highest form of poverty is ingratitude. In other words, the highest form of poverty has nothing to do with material wealth or lack thereof. It has nothing uh, to do with whether or not you've got lots of friends and lots of people calling you and texting you all the time. What's probably true is that the highest form of poverty and destitution of the spirit and soul is ingratitude. And we're simply defining gratitude as the quality of being thankful and a readiness to show appreciation for kindness and to return kindness. The quality of being thankful and a readiness to show appreciation for kindness and to return kindness. Now, that kindness there implies that you've received something that you didn't earn. It implies that what you've been given is a gift, that it's blessings, it's undeserved or unmerited favor. And so in gratitude, a particular person who finds themselves unable to be grateful, you don't camp out normally in a place of gratitude, you just find that there's a poverty of the soul that very few things can soothe. And it's helpful for us to know that people who are ungrateful or people who camp out with ingratitude aren't inwardly feeling grateful but just trying to hide it. They're not inwardly feeling thankful and just saying, I'm just not going to show it. I'm not going to say thankful. Thank you. No, inside themselves, there is a lack of gratitude. There's an inability to rouse themselves to be grateful for the good things in life, largely because they're unable to see them. They're unable to recognize the good things in life. And so when all this goodness and light is happening, all of God's goodness and all of his greatness and the favor of people is happening all around them, the grateful person says, yes, God is good. I want to bask in his goodness. I want to show appreciation and gratitude. And the ungrateful person is like, eh, I I guess that's okay if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, It's not really what I was looking for, I was hoping for more, just the indifference 
to the good things of God. There's a lack of satisfaction that is resident in the life of somebody who is ungrateful. And it's, it's really unchristian. It's unchristian. In fact, Paul says this in his closing words to the, the letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Paul says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. In verse 18, he says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, on, its, on the surface, this seems like kind of crazy to me. And I imagine that if a person who is not walking with Jesus, who is not, you know, sort of enmeshed with the kingdom understanding of how we're supposed to glorify God with our lives, uh, is not walking with a heart of gratitude, this might sound crazy to them. The absolute language used here in Paul's address here, always be joyful, that sounds nuts. Never stop praying, that sounds crazy. And be thankful in all circumstances sounds impossible because all circumstances mean even the bad times, even the times where you didn't get what you want, even the times where you were looked over, even the times where people talked about you, even the times where, where tragedy has struck your life. Somehow this crazy like apostle wants us to find thankfulness and the, the silver lining even in the most tragic of circumstances. It seems absolutely crazy. It seems impossible. But this charge to be thankful in all circumstances is not a suggestion to us. It rings more like a command. It strikes me as something that God expects from those who have experienced God's goodness and light. This charge to be thankful in all circumstances trains our minds and heart to develop what I call grateful instincts or grateful reactions. It trains your mind. It trains your heart to find God's goodness and light, even in the darkest of rooms, even in the most challenging, the tightest of spaces. This being thankful in all circumstances trains my mind and heart to develop an instinct of gratitude because, well, by, by nature, we're mostly pessimistic. By nature, we're mostly unsatisfied. By nature, what we most readily see is what's wrong. What we most readily see is what we didn't get or what didn't happen or who didn't speak to us or what we were overlooked for. And it's unnatural for us. It takes some work to be able to spot through the fog of dissatisfaction, through the fog of unmet expectations, gratefulness trains the mind and heart. It trains the eyes to look for reasons to be thankful, look for reasons to be grateful. And sometimes this is easy because if you're like me, sometimes you're just in a season where every time you turn around, the door's open. Every time you turn around, there's a yes, kids are behaving and bringing you flowers. You're getting checks in the mail that you didn't, you know. You come to church and like, boom, you just, for the first strum of the guitar, like the presence of God, you're like, yes, this week has been fantastic. And so it's easy to see, but other seasons, it's like, it's not really easy. When there's darkness and pain and death, and you've been looked over and you've been talked about, and your kids seem like they have just gone to Mars or something, it's just hard to see 
how to be thankful in all circumstances. But what does Paul know that we don't? Paul knows that thankful people have the best lives. Thankful people have the best lives. And it's not that thankful people just have this barrage of goodness and good experiences and this barrage. They just live kind of in a different neighborhood where the sun shines all the time there. They live in the same world that ungrateful people live in. But they have the best lives. Why? Because they can see what others can't. They've trained their mind's eye to see what others can't. And so, therefore, they can enjoy what others don't. I'll say it again. Grateful people can see what other people can't see, and therefore they can enjoy what other people don't enjoy. I'll put it this way. If I put you in a room full of gold coins or your favorite dessert or something that you really like, and I blindfolded you such that you could not see it, you would not experience delight. You wouldn't experience the pleasure of having your favorite things in this room. On the other hand, if I put you in that same room with your favorite things, I turned the light on and I allowed you to see what the blind fur of the person could not see, you would not only see it, but you would enjoy it. Same room, same circumstances. The difference is sight. The difference is vision. The difference is what you can see, believe, and enjoy. And if thankful people live the good life, it's also true that life's hard or harder for people who are ungrateful. Because like the grateful person who's trained their eyes to see the good in every circumstance, to see God's hand working in every circumstance, the ungrateful person has trained their eyes to see the negative. So 99 people can speak to you, but you will go to bed thinking about the one person who didn't speak probably because they didn't see you or they were looking in their phone. But, but what you tend to focus on is what didn't happen. Symphony of music, 12-minute song, played perfectly, but that one note that hit the, the, the person who, who's pessimistic has trained their eyes and everybody at the table, did you hear that beautiful piece of music? And when it gets around to your time, you're like, well, yeah, about six minutes into it, they hit a wrong note. Did anybody catch that? And the grateful people are like, what? We didn't hear it. And some of you, even as I just say this, even comically, you, you go, that's me. My eyes are hopelessly trained on the negative, hopelessly trained on the opportunities missed or the, the ways I've been looked over, and I really need what this preacher might be laying down today. And so some of you, if you're honest, you would say, you need to grow in gratitude. And so I think on the heels of Thanksgiving and the spirit of the series that we've been in for the last several weeks, a series that we've simply been calling You Can Grow, I think that this would be a good close to the series. We've been in a series called You Can Grow, highlighting simply the fact that God wants very little from us other than to continue to grow. Continue to grow in the deep and meaningful areas of life, the areas that matter most. God just wants us to keep growing doesn't expect you to come to faith and just have it all figured out, but he wants us to maintain a measure of slow, incremental, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot growth in the areas of life that matter most. And we've talked about everything from faith, resilience, discernment. Last week we talked about leadership, and we'll conclude the series this, this, uh, this morning 
talking about gratitude. And some of you might say, how do I grow in gratitude? Well, there's a number of different ways to grow in gratitude, but I think for those of us who really want to begin this journey, who really want to do it right, I think we should take a lesson from the great athletes of past and present. Great athletes are, take part in a number of regiments, number of disciplines, but one of the things that great athletes do is they're constantly watching film. Constantly watching film, particularly those who play team sports. And this is just a picture of some college athletes watching film. They're not just watching, you know, TV. They're not just trying to be amused, but they're watching film of either a past game or they're watching the film of their opponents. They're dissecting these things so that they might figure out how to play the game better. And so they're trying to learn from their own failures. They're trying to learn from the weaknesses of their opponents. They're trying to gain some insight into strengths and weakness. I remember when I was playing high school football, um, the little bit that I did play, I was eager to watch the film when I had, you know, a good play. I wanted to see the highlights. And what I noticed about me and my buddies is that we were watching film for different reasons than our coaches wanted us to watch film. We wanted to see the hit we made. We wanted to see the highlights. We wanted to roll it back when we did something good, right? But the more mature among us, our coaches and the senior athletes among us, they were watching film for a different reason. They wanted to highlight our missteps. They wanted to see where we missed the block. We didn't quite hook that guy quite right, and somebody came in and sacked our quarterback. They wanted to see what the issues were. And what we found out when we watched those films is that we saw things that we didn't remember happening in the game. We saw things that happened maybe behind our back or we were so focused on our highlights that we didn't quite see those blocks that we missed or those places where we didn't run the right routes. And so it was helpful for us to watch film because, well, we needed to see where we'd fallen down. And I'm so grateful for the scriptures because really what this is, when we read these scriptures and we dissect them and, you know, we pull things out of them, we're basically watching film encounters with Jesus. We're watching film. We're getting to see how somebody else either did well or they did poorly. Um, And we can sort of learn some things as we watch the film of Scripture. But I think what's most important for us to do is to to learn the discipline of rolling back the film of our own lives. Rolling back the film of our own uh, decisions and our own encounters with God and others and not just, you know, watching the highlights. But watching those places where we can develop, we, we can develop a sense of where we develop patterns of behavior that aren't helpful, where our instincts aren't quite as sharp, and where we're not quite living up to the standard that God has for us. We watch the film of our life as we try to perfect certain things about us. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a reel, so to speak, today of Scripture and dissected, but hopefully what we're doing alongside looking at the scripture is we're rolling back the film of our own life. And we're trying to examine whether or not we are grateful, thankful people, whether we we're, tend we're to be more ungrateful than grateful, ungrateful than grateful. Something calling this message this morning, growing in gratitude. I want to look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 17. Feel free to turn there with me in your Bibles if you have them. Luke 17, um, you can also follow along with us on the screens. Feel free to use the Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to also follow along on your tablets and your phones. While you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, for your goodness and your light. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to stand here and share your word with your people. Father, make us grateful people. 
Help us to develop instincts of gratitude. Lord, help us to train our hearts and our minds to see you working all around us, no matter what the circumstances, Paul says. Help us to be grateful people. Give us the tools to see, Father, what you see. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak today so that your truth and your light might shine through. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said? Luke chapter 17. It reads as follows. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. An important detail. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And so this is a unique opportunity for us. Just imagine ourselves in the film room of life. We put on a reel of this particular exchange, this encounter with Jesus and these ten lepers. A fascinating encounter uh, of Jesus and these ten men. A familiar story to some of you, new to others of you. doesn't matter uh, where you are, whether you've heard this story or not. We'll take our time and jog through it. But what's clear is that there are ten sick men. Ten sick men who want an audience with Jesus for very, one very important reason. They need healing. They'd like to be healed. And these men don't have some ordinary disease, some common cold. They have leprosy. They are lepers. And leprosy simply is a contagious disease that affects the skin, like mucous membranes and nerves. It causes discoloration and lumps, painful sores on the skin. And in severe cases, it causes disfigurement and deformity. There was no known cure. What we understand in leprosy in certain parts of the world is a milder version of what they experienced in Jesus' day. And so there were physical issues, obviously, with this disease. But it was also a, a social disorder because legally, if you had this very contagious disease, you were cut off from your family. You were cut off from life as you noticed. So not only was there physical pain involved, there was social isolation as well. And on top of that, leprosy came with a spiritual stigma because people believed that if you were stricken with this incurable disease that, you know, relegated you to the outskirts of society, then you must have fallen out of favor with God. You must have done something. And if you hadn't done something, then your father's done it. But either way, this is a sure sign of God's displeasure. Leprosy was no small matter. The scripture says, as Jesus entered the village, there ten men with leprosy stood at distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so it's helpful to picture this scene, Right? Now, if you were a leper, you couldn't get within a certain distance of somebody. And so if there was somebody you were trying to talk to, you would have to shout. Now, coupled with that necessity of shouting, just the sheer desperation of these men who perhaps haven't seen their family in years. Some of them terribly disfigured and constant excruciating pain. 
the sights and smells of leprosy just like probably just make you want to gag. And these 10 men huddles up. They see uh, the person, their only hope, the only hope for a cure at a distance. Now, do you think this was a mild discussion that they had with Jesus? Do you think they were saying, hey, Jesus, you got a minute? Hey, we don't want to bother you. You look busy. You look like you're heading someplace. This is a good time. Imagine 10 of the most desperate men that you would ever meet. Imagine the men who might understand that their window for help is as, you know, could, could fade as fast as Jesus could walk out of their sight. And I just imagine the, the cries of these men, not waiting their turn, but talking over one another as to create some commotion and get the master's attention. Even if they weren't people of faith, they heard something about Jesus. They heard just maybe this could be our chance. You think they were civilized? You think they were composed? You think they gave, you know, a lot of consideration to their tone of voice? To what words they use. I just imagine desperate cry after desperate cry, talking over each other, their voices probably breaking up, tears probably in their eyes. I, I imagine a desperate scene as these men cry out for Jesus. Jesus looked at them, verse 14, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And so Jesus heals them. And as we jog further in the story, we see their response. Now, I'm struck. I'm struck in ways that I haven't been struck as I interact with this passage because this time I just compared the volume, passion, and desperation of their cry for help with the volume, passion, exuberance for the gratitude that they showed afterwards. I'm trying to imagine how desperate and loud and undignified their request for help was up against how quiet their collective expression of gratitude was. It's really shameful. And often when we encounter this passage and passages like this, I, I caution us not to write these guys off or to shake our fists in their face because when we're looking at Scripture, when we're watching film, we're really looking in the mirror. This is a picture of us, how we so often cry loud for help. We're desperate, we're impassioned when we need help. But by comparison, our attitudes of gratitude for God and others pale in comparison. And so for those of us who want to grow in gratitude, three things for us to consider as we look at this passage today. And I, we're focusing our thoughts on growing in gratitude to both God and to others. The first challenge is that we should consider our initial reactions when we experience goodness and light from God and even others that we are to consider our initial reactions. There's something about those initial reactions that are very, very telling. Let me tell you, uh, when it comes to my kids, I can tell when they are genuinely grateful and when they are not. And some of you have kids, you have grandkids, you have, you know, you can tell when they're genuinely grateful and when they're not, you can tell like when they open the thing and it's socks. 
versus, you know, the Xbox One or the Xbox Two, whatever the new thing is. You can just, you can kind of tell the difference. And so when my kids open something that they're not grateful for, it's almost like a robot has taken over their voice and you get this, thank you. <laughs> and oftentimes it's after a prompting, you know, a clearing of the throat. <clears throat> what do you say? Thank you. He took the kids to Sky Zone the other, the other day, and, you know, I didn't have to tell them to say thank you behind that. We pull up to the place, and then we go in the sky. Dad, you're the best dad ever. Mom, we love you, we love you, we love you, you love you. I don't even think they said the word thank you, but they didn't have to. Their eyes told the story. The dance, you know, the move and the sway of their hips told the story. I didn't have to guess whether or not they were grateful. When they ask that, what's for dinner? And I say the tacos, which is their favorite, or pizza. It's like, oh, they do a little dance. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Your hair. I really like your haircut too, Daddy. <laughs> Versus we put something on the table that they're not fond of. And after the talk about how some kids went to bed last night without dinner, then we get the robotic, thank you. What's my point? My point is initial reactions are very, very very telling. And so we see what happens when the men were healed. Scripture says, as they went, they were healed. Verse 15, when some of them, when they saw, uh, excuse me, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, there's that shouting again, shouting as probably as loud as he was shouting for help, shouting, exuberant, passion, this is his initial response. Stopped him in his tracks. He turned around, praising God. He fell to the ground, Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? In other words, um, the thankful response that Jesus got was 90% weaker than the cries for help were. There were nine brothers missing from the party that should have been at Jesus' feet after they received the blessing. And so this story is important for us because I think this, this story like gives us the perfect scenario, the perfect conditions for somebody to be thankful. Something lesser, you might go, well, I could kind of see, they might have forgot. I can kind of see why they didn't, but Jesus, the stories of Jesus and the stories that Jesus tells highlight extremes. They set the conditions just right so that Jesus can make the point. This crazy situation, in- incurable disease, totally hopeless situation, a decent sample size, 10 men, that's just, just a decent sample size. Miraculous healing the nonchalance of Jesus' command, just go and show yourself to the priest. As you go, it'll be there. It's perfect. All to say, if you can't say thank you behind this, you've got a problem. You can't in the blink of an eye find that your life is fixed. Your life is fixed. Pain, gone. Deformities, gone. Skin, smooth. I get to go home. I get to make a living again. I get to experience God's favor in the company of the saints again. Life fixed. 
And what Jesus implies is if you can't say thank you behind this, you've got a gratitude problem. And what this reveals to us is that either you are a grateful person or you're not. Either you're a grateful person or you're not. And we regularly say things like that because we like to be really generous in grading ourselves. Well, where do you fall as it relates to gratitude? I'm somewhere in the middle. I can work on it a little bit. What, what, what do you, what do you, how would you judge yourself, rate yourself on faithfulness? I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. I can grow a little bit in that area. What do you like in holiness? What do you like in faith? What do you like in truth-telling? It's amazing how many of us are in the middle. The reality is you're either an honest person or you're not. Either you are a faithful person or you're not faithful. Either you're generous or you are not. We're not going to slice the pie of our life. Well, when it comes to God, I'm, you know, I'm not generous. But with others, I'm really generous. No, either you have an instinct, either your heart is conditioned, seasoned for generosity, seasoned for faithfulness, seasoned for holiness, and save a lapse here or there or not. And when it comes to being grateful and showing gratitude and having, as we said earlier, eyes that see the goodness of the Lord in every circumstances, either you are that person or not. And so what these nine other fellows see, if they even care, Jesus certainly notices that they were not grateful when the conditions were perfect. So if you're an ungrateful person by nature, you want to be honest with yourself today, I got a tip for you. And the tip is this, learn to show gratitude to God and others whether you feel grateful or not. Learn to show gratitude whether you feel grateful or not. And a really important question just to measure whether you should be grateful for something is go, is this a gift or this is something that I've earned. Is this favor shown to me by God or others? Or is this something that I had coming? And most of us would discover the things that we let slip, the things that we don't say thank you to God, and other things that we just feel like, well, that just sort of happened. We use this metric. We, we, we see that, man, lots of things have gone by that we haven't given God adequate thanks for. Lots of things have gone by that God has done through other people that we've had, we haven't given adequate thanks for our initial reactions were, eh, I guess that's cool. At this stage of my parenting life, I don't really care if my kids feel grateful or not. I don't really care. I mean, we're trying to carve that out in them. It, it matters to a certain degree, but right now, I'm just developing their instinct to say thank you when somebody hands you something. I don't know if you need parents or grandparents like me, but I, if, if I say, what do you say? I mean, if I'm not saying that 25 times in a day, right, on a good day, it's not a normal day. I've got four of these rascals, and I'm constantly like, what do you say? And by the end of the day, they're like, thank you. Oh, well, get it right. And I got this thing where I don't even let the thing go. 
Then you've got to watch this kid grab something and then walk away and then he yanks back. And I go, what do you say? Why? Because i got to develop that instinct in him. You don't got to feel warm and fuzzy. Because, I mean, the sky zones, right? They're irregular. You know, taco night doesn't roll around every night, right? And so if you're only saying thank you when you feel like super warm and like, then something's wrong. I read a quote last, last week from Erwin McManus, a pastor out in L.A., and he says, I don't know within myself how to be a humble person, but I do know how to do humble things. The hope is that as I do humble things, it becomes who I am. I develop some instincts, and through time and sanctification and the mercy of God's grace and transforming work of the gospel, I become what I am not now. But the starting point isn't somebody sprinkling you with Holy Ghost dust. The starting point is you doing grateful things even when you don't feel grateful. And I would that there was some, uh, somebody, you know, to follow us around and say, what do you say? What do you say? Some of us need that. Because you open doors for people all the time, and they just walk in like you were supposed to do that. You get up for sister on, you know, on the bus, and she feels like her cuteness earned her that. <laughs> and on and on and on. And almost, you know, when I was younger and less, you know, pastoral, I would say, you're welcome. I realize, you know, that's probably not shining the light of Jesus. But some of us need that. What do you say? To grow in gratitude, you have to learn to do grateful things. That means turn your hips around and go back and say thank you. That means you tip when you go to a restaurant. If you can't, listen, if we don't have enough to tip, then that, that, that restaurant is out of reach for us. And Christians have this bag with your church shirt and your tracks that you leave, you know. Now, anybody here works in the service industry understands that that's not like, that's like how you eat. That's how you feed your kids. And so that's one of the ways, the instincts we develop to say thank you, right? Say thank you. Write a handwritten note. Say thank you to your parents, just out of the blue, unsolicited thank yous. This is, this is, you have to do th- grateful things. You have to do grateful things. Spawn well to the gifts, unearned things, because we're naturally broken in this area. So we paid attention to the initial response. The second thing is that we consider what we might feel entitled to. So is there anything's going to neutralize, and you heard me say this many times, anything going to neutralize sincere gratitude in your hearts, it's going to be this sense of entitlement. And there's something about living in, one, in the wealthiest country in the world, something about living in the West, something about just being American that makes us feel so doggone entitled. Scripture tells us that one of them, when he saw him, was healed, came back shouting to Jesus, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. That's an important detail. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten guys? Where are the other nine? The implication here, obviously, particularly for those of you who have engaged this text before, is that the other nine were Jewish men. Jesus himself was a Jew. 
Samaritans and Jews didn't get along, and that's really an understatement. They hated each other. They had no dealings with one another. They thought themselves better than one another. Jews who worshiped God and God alone saw the Samaritans as not only half-breed, sort of mixed-race people, but polytheistic people who worshiped other gods. And so there was just this air of superiority that Jews had towards Samaritans, and the Samaritans were not crazy about the Jews in return. Uh, what's interesting, though, as we look at this situation, is there's something about a common struggle that levels the playing field. Something about this common issue uh, that put men that normally wouldn't socialize with one another together, right? But there's traces and implications of entitlement in this when Jesus says, nobody came back but the Samaritan. I don't know about you, but if I was the Samaritan, I might have been a little put off by this. But Jesus says these Jewish brothers didn't come out, and the text doesn't, you know, really explain why they didn't come back. And I don't want to take any liberties with the text, but I can't help but thinking that maybe these Jewish brothers felt like maybe Jesus owed this to them. Sometimes I wonder, did they ever come back? Well, the text, you know, if that were, you know, that would be an important detail. Jesus suggests that these guys didn't come back, period. And these brothers, they just took the gift and left. They just took the gift and left. And Jesus is bothered by this. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus is bothered by this. And so we see the traces of entitlement, and it might not be hard for you to see this in your own life. And there's two really important areas where entitlement is likely to show up. The first area it shows up is, you know, when you don't get what you want. Some of you have been throwing the adult version of a tantrum all your adult life. If you've ever watched an adult throw a tantrum, it's something to watch. Feel entitled. When something happened you were counting on, something you were expecting, was like you didn't get it, it's like you... You're upset. I am old. How dare them not give this to me? How dare them not speak to me? How dare they look me over for the promotion? I feel entitled to that. So when you don't get what you want. But it's also super obvious if entitlement is present when you consider your reaction when you do get what you want. Because if you feel like this is a gift, if you feel like this is by the mercy and goodness of our loving Father that either the healing came or the job opportunity came or the baby came, or this, if you feel like it's, this, is a, this is a divine grace, you're grateful. You're lavish in gratitude. But if you feel like, well, it's about time, Lord. You feel like you had it coming, then you don't show gratitude. And and at the very best, it's nominal. It's not passionate. It's not sincere. It's just kind of like, you know, that robotic thank you, you know, that you get from the kids. And so obviously we're dealing with the latter here. Miraculous, life-changing miracle. And these brothers don't even come back to say thank you. 
Now here is what we need to understand. Entitlement is a robber. It is the robber when it comes to being grateful and camping out in this place where Paul says, be grateful in every circumstance. You will not be grateful in every circumstance if you feel entitled. Entitlement will eat your lunch, particularly as a follower of Christ. This has a poisonous effect on your life with God. And it has a poisonous effect on your life with people. You are constantly making demands of people because you feel like people owe you something. One of the greatest lessons that my father would ever teach me as a young man growing up, he would always say, and you've heard me say this many times, son, what do they owe you? Always causing me to take inventory of what people owe me, but she gave it to somebody else. Well, she gave them one. What did, did he owe you that? Amazing how your heart is calibrated. Amazing how well-adjusted you can be as an adult when you square away a healthy, like, understanding of what you're owed in life. And some of you are not well-adjusted as adults. You're throwing tantrums all the time, not because you're a bad person, not because you've been corrupted in some way, but because you don't have a really healthy understanding of what God and people owe you. We're owed far less than we feel entitled to. Your life with God is a list of demands, and there's this undercurrent of dissatisfaction with your life with God. There's this list of demands with people, and there's just this undercurrent of dissatisfaction in your relationship. Somebody said, Preacher, you're talking to me. You're never satisfied. You're never satisfied. There's a smugness about you. There's a meanness about you. And it causes your relationship with God and others. The very reason we're here, being good standing with God and others, it causes corruption, corrosion, the very foundation of those relationships. Why? Because you feel entitled. And what do grateful people have squared away at the very foundation of their understanding of God? They have this squared away. God owes me nothing. God owes me nothing. And really, if you want to be technical, that's not true. What God owes us, you better try to run from it. Right? The Scripture tells us what God owes us. Death. Separation from God. That's the penalty of God. If you want, you feel entitled to something, you want to just be technical about it. That's what you got coming. You want it? Did you, did you want the cross and the nails through your hands? You want to be on the hook for your own sin? Is that, I mean, we're feeling entitled. If we just, just go with it. Since Jesus decided to, you know, fulfill the prophecies and fulfill his purpose and take his body to the cross and to pay the ransom for our sin, like, I think God is, like, taken care of, you know. I think he's held, his, held up his end. I don't think we're entitled to much more. And so what the grateful understand is that everything on top of, you know, what Jesus did on the cross is it's a bonus. It's a blessing. And the old folks used to say, if God, God, if you don't do nothing else for me, if you don't do a thing else for me, and I thought, man, that sounds real churchy. But those brother, old brothers and sisters, they were onto something. What have they squared away in their heart? God, listen, 
You've settled your tab. You've held up your end. And I wonder if you might say today, God, if you, do, if you don't do another thing for me, if we never get pregnant again, if I don't get the job that I want, if the, if the healing never comes through and this thing continues to degenerate, if the cancer like takes me out of here, Lord, even under those circumstances, you've done enough. You've been good. You've been faithful. You've been merciful. You've done more than you owe me. I wonder if many of us could say that here today. And so we talked about God, but what about other people? Because really, the other half of what we're supposed to do here on earth is to be in good standing with other people. And you can't be in good standing. You can't be in right relationship with people when you constantly feel entitled. What's true is that people generally owe us far less than we think. And if you would just, would just sit down and take inventory of all the things you are all mad about, you didn't get invited to something and like somebody got invited and you didn't get invited and you're sitting at home mad and now you're not speaking to this person or you're spreading rumors about this person, what you would discover is one, that person didn't owe you that and two, if you knew one more fact about the situation, you'd probably change your opinion of it. And so when I feel this anger or this something rising up against somebody else, I, gotta go. I hear my daddy's voice, what do they owe you, son? Do they owe you that? My instinct is, but I gave them this, and I was there for them. And this. Do they owe you that? Boy, it's one of the ways to keep your heart pure before the Lord and keep your accounts up to date with other people is to really ask and answer, what, I, what am I owed? To have an instinct that seeks and destroys entitlement in our lives wherever we might find it. And some of us really need the Spirit's help in order to do that. So we consider our initial reactions. We consider the places where we feel entitled. And last but not least, we consider the costs of ingratitude. We consider the costs of ingratitude. And because some of us are more motivated um, by what we gain than rather what we lose. But others of us, <laughs> we're like, man, I don't want to really lose any money on this deal. What, what, what do I stand to lose if I don't really walk in this? And for, we've been talking about the benefits so far, but I want to just consider the cost of what living a life of ingratitude is. The very end of this story, Jesus inquires about the other ten men, has no other, no one else returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. In verse 19, and Jesus says to the man, just real casually, like this is the, this is the most exciting thing about the whole passage. And all throughout this, Jesus is just throwing around blessings. He's throwing around all sorts of goodness. This is just who he is. Verse 19, and Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Another version says your faith has what? Made you whole. Made you whole. Now, to the uninitiated, those far from faith, you're like, dude, the miracle was like the, the healing, the cleansing, right? Didn't have to be in pain anymore. Um, go back to his family. But the real miracle, friends, is that his sins were forgiven. 
that he was made whole. And what whole means is nothing missing, nothing broken. This is what we're in pursuit of. We're in pursuit of wholeness, the fullness of what God has for us. He was made whole. And so I've said it over and over and over that sometimes we get too excited about the healings and the external things. But what Jesus is communicating when he demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit, and particularly in healing, he says, hey, what I just did for your skin, I want to do for your whole life. He says to the blind man, don't rejoice over the healing. What I did for your eyes, I want to do for your soul. There's more, right? But who received the more of the Lord? Who received a cleansing of their soul? Who received like, like a clean slate, sins forgiven that all 10 of them? Was that a part of the initial wave of healing? Or was that the benefit of somebody coming back, right? Turning around and saying, hey, you didn't have to do what you did. You didn't have to give me what you gave me. Thank you. And as he worshiped at the feet of Jesus, Jesus says, oh, one more thing. Since he came back. One more thing, since you went through the trouble of coming back to say, one more thing, and it's the main thing, your sins are forgiven. Peace with God, clean slate, welcome into the kingdom, son. And the other nine, who were too busy, who perhaps felt entitled, they missed the big gift because they didn't turn around. And so I don't know about you, but I am super, I consider myself a generous person, but I I really want to go out my way for people who seem grateful. I want to do more for my kids when they say thank you. I want to do more for people. You know, I do my job here. I love the joy of my life to do this. But, But I serve a grateful congregation. I'm always getting emails and little notes and little blessings and Listen, I tell you what, get those little notes. Get those little emails when you feel like, hey, are we being effective? Are we do-? And get those little notes, and it just, it, just, it just fills your tank, and you can run another mile. How many of you know we serve a generous God anyway? Something kicks into gear when God inhabits the praises Worship, thanksgiving of his people. Thank you, as they say, makes room for more. And so for those of us who have not developed an instinct with gratitude, particularly toward God, you're leaving money on the table. There are things that God wants to do in your life and doors that he wants to open, windows he wants to open, that he just simply cannot afford to release those things as you operate within gratitude. And all of a sudden, the stakes got higher. All of a sudden, as you deal with entitlement, as you try to carve out grateful instincts, we see that there's like more to this than we thought. And this is not optional for the believer. This is like who we are. This is who we're supposed to be. And so as we watch this little film today, as we look in Scripture, and hopefully as you've been honest with yourself and worship team, you can come up and watch the film of your own life and notice the patterns of your own life, some of you might say, man, I'm an ungrateful brat. I'm as about as smug concerning this 
as it can get. And even if you sort of mull over some relationships or the open accounts that you have or some issue that you have with somebody else, you, you see within that ingratitude, you see within that entitlement, and God is calling you to press into that thing. You say, how do I fix this? Where did I begin? You want to be grateful, do grateful stuff. You want to be faithful, do faithful stuff. You want to be generous, do generous things. And so this week I'm giving you some homework, like be lavish in your gratitude this week. Bless the socks off of the waitress as you go out to lunch and dinner tonight and this week. Like, bless their face off. Make sure you're saying thank you when people are doing something. Say thankful, thank you to your bosses. Say thankful, thank you to your team. Say thank you to your kids. And say thank you to your parents. Some of you, some of you call your parents this week and say, you know what, I've never said thank you for this and that. And some of you, even now, though the Spirit is dropping in you ideas and ways for you to develop this instinct, would you be obedient to that this week? Would you be obedient to that this week? And my prayer is that the Spirit would jump on that and, and bless it in ways that we can't even imagine. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all you've done for us. You owed us death separation from you and yet you poured out your life for us and on top of that you keep blessing us over and over and over lord would you give us eyes to see the goodness of the lord in every circumstance as paul says would you seek and destroy any trace of entitlement that might live in our lives and might be corrupting our relationship with you and others father would you develop an instinct within us that causes us to constantly turn around and say thank you not just to you but to the people who you use to bless us. Father, would you, would you do that? Would we be a good example for our kids and for our grandchildren, Father? May, may we be a light and a witness to this as we work and as we play and as we go to school. Carve out within us godly gratitude, and may we see how it transforms our life and the world around us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.